there are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. Today's guest is Michelle Ellman. Michelle is a five-board certified life coach. She's a broadcaster in her native United Kingdom, as well as appearing on the radio in Hong Kong, Ireland, and Los Angeles. She may be best known for her campaign, Scarred But Not Scared, has been named one of the Sun's 50 most inspirational women in the UK. A prolific public speaker, Michelle's TEDx talk has been viewed more than 65,000 times. And she's the author of The Joy of Being Selfish, Why You Need Boundaries, and How to Set Them. Michelle Ellman, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Thank you so much for having me on. And for our viewers uh, at home listening and, and viewing, I apologize. I'm having some uh, technical difficulties today. And so uh, all the statements of everyone telling me I've got a face for radio has finally come true. And so uh, unfortunately, we don't have the camera today. Uh, Michelle, you've recently released a new book, The Joy of Being Selfish, Why I Need Boundaries and How to Set Them. How did you become interested in the topic of boundaries? Well, with all my tools that I use within life coaching with clients, I've just kept coming back to boundaries because it was the tool that I use the most often, not only with my clients, but in my personal life. And it was the tool that I found created the greatest change because what boundaries essentially are, are how we teach people to treat you. So it's all about what is and isn't okay about your treatment. And as soon as you upgrade how you deserve to be treated in life, your world kind of starts shifting a lot faster than any other aspect, whether it's self-esteem or self-respect, all of that actually comes under the umbrella of boundaries. And to that point, why do boundaries matter so much? Because if you don't dictate how people treat you and you don't stand up for yourselves when they're treating you badly, then you let other people decide. And so it's like an in and out carousel into your life of people get to decide however they want to talk to you, however they want to behave, and you never stand up for yourself, then it's really hard to have self-esteem. It's really hard to have self-respect when the people around you and the people in your life are not reflecting that. And to the point about boundaries, you know, the last 18, 20 months, wherever it is now with the never-ending uh, COVID pandemic, how have boundaries changed or morphed or evolved given social distancing, uh, things like that? I think we've needed boundaries now more than ever. I think also with the workplace uh, disappearing, for the most part, people working from home, there's not the physical boundary between work and rest. And so if you aren't good at setting limits, saying this is my weekend, um, or even saying this is my evening, then you're going to be overworking yourself, you're going to be risking burnout, because you'll be working the whole time. In the same way, coming out of the lockdowns, a lot of people were trying to overcompensate or make up for the time that we missed it with socializing. And so when you have so many incoming offers for events and um, parties and all of these things, if you aren't good at saying no, you're also going to burn out from that. The pandemic also brought up brand new 
uh, boundaries. So boundaries around health, for example. Some people are still not comfortable hanging out inside. Some people are still not comfortable hanging out without a mask. Um, some people aren't comfortable with hanging out with anyone who's unvaccinated. And all of these conversations aren't conversations we would have had before the pandemic. And so it's about respecting the fact that just because someone has a boundary that you don't agree with doesn't mean that you can trample all over their boundary. And so you don't have to understand it, but you do have to respect it. Okay. So I'm going to ask for a little free advice now, if this is okay. Yeah, sure. You talked about the boundaries in the workplace. Yes. So I live about 40, 45 miles outside New York City. My commute time pre-pandemic was three and a half to four hours a day, about two hour and a half in the morning to two and a half in the way home. Yeah. Now that I'm not commuting, my quality of life is shot through the roof. Yes, I've been working out of my basement, but it's okay. I've got a nice little bunker down here. I've got this great microphone and, and podcast, but I'm logged in longer. I'm logged in later because those four hours I'm not commuting, I'm logged in. Uh, yeah. One example I give is last Christmas, I remember sending a couple of emails because there was nothing else to do. Like you said, we didn't go anywhere. And I actually got some responses and I said, what are you doing emailing me on Christmas? And they said, well, what the hell did you email me for in the first place? <laughs> so how do I set boundaries for myself in, in my professional life? Well, I think what their responses were quite accurate. You can't expect <laughs> this certain behavior if you are going to be doing it yourself. And when, for example, yes, I had nothing to be do over Christmas and I probably had nothing better to do than reply to my emails. On principle, I didn't reply to them over Christmas because I think it's important to take a break, whether you want to or not. I think it's really good training to learn to stay, take your foot off the gas pedal and actually fully rest. And as much as you'll have that urge to work and you might have to tell yourself stories about, oh, well, that just means I'm going to have to do it later. It just means my January is going to be more stressful. To do it just for the sake of it actually isn't ever doing it for just the sake of it. Actually taking that full week off, not replying to the emails, means that you show people how to treat you. So the fact that people were emailing me and they weren't getting a reply, prior to going on my Christmas break, I did actually send an email to everyone I work with saying, these are my dates. I will not be checking my email and my out of office that the email that gets sent out to everyone anytime they email me in that period actually doesn't give you a return date because what a lot of people do is they will say I I have um, inter intermittent access to my emails which means <laughs> I will still reply to you which is, I didn't want that option and then the other part of the out of office that is quite uh, normalized or compulsory is I will get back to you on the 12th of January or whatever it is. I didn't put that either. And I just put, I will get back to you as soon as I, I am, as soon as I am ready, as soon as I am back in the office, whatever it was. Because as soon as you give someone a date, and likelihood is when you place that date in your out of office, people always place it for the date the first day you're back in office. The first day you're back to work is not the day you're going to have time to go through 10 days worth of emails. And so it's, if you tell someone you're going to get back to them at a certain time, then get back to them at a certain time. But you don't have to give a date. And so it's about not offering up information that you're not willing to stick to. And I think the greatest lesson I learned through boundaries is I say what I mean and I mean what I say. So I'm not going to say I'm going to get back to you on the 12th of January unless I actually can. I don't know that I can. So I won't say that at all. I'll just say I'll get back to you as soon as possible. But as soon as possible is different measure of time for me than it is to another person. Nope, fair point. So now I'm going to ask you to use your crystal ball, if you can, a little bit and fast forward to the workplace post-COVID pandemic. 
So I just mentioned how now you know, I'm not commuting. I've got these extra four hours where I'm on email. Well, at some point I will be commuting again. I'll be traveling to see clients. Will people still expect me to be logged in as long as they do today? I think it's all about having the conversations because as much as, yes, we will be able to go back to offices full time at some point, we now know that we don't have to. So why are we doing it? If we actually need to start questioning these things, because if our quality of life has improved, you're working extra hours as a result of you working from home. Why do employers want us back in the office? Of course, there are some benefits to that. And so maybe it's about coming up with a compromise of, well, why don't we do three, three days a week in the office rather than five days a week? I think we shouldn't be accepting previous work norms as the future because we're allowed to change that now that we know it can work in different ways there was a point in time where people would travel across the world for a meeting because they thought they couldn't do anything over zoom everyone has since learned how to do use zoom everyone has since learned the difference between sending an email and what actually needs a zoom meeting and also what actually requires a flight what you can actually do over video chat and all of these things are tools that are to our benefit and we should be using them so when we, but if, if you get to the point where you have to go to the office full time and that is something that you're willing to go back to and you don't feel the need to have that conversation or set those boundaries or whatever it is, then I think it's acceptable to set boundaries around the fact that, well, the same amount of time is being consumed, whether I'm spending it in a car or I'm spending it in the workplace, that is the same hours of time. So if you want me to work the hours where I would be commuting, then I will be working from home. Otherwise, then I only start work at nine o'clock or whatever time it is when I'm in the workplace, when I'm in the office. Now, fortunately, uh, my employer is one of those that appreciates and respects the, the work-life balance. And you know, we had the, the flexible ability beforehand, but now it's even you know showcased even more. So Certainly be curious to see what the world looks like, but I think to your point, a lot of people have learned that. And I was, or I am guilty of one of those people who would hop on a plane and fly halfway around the world for a meeting. Uh, But that has certainly changed. I do miss the frequent flyer miles, uh, but I don't miss the jet lag. So we'll see what the new world looks like, uh, hopefully not too distant future. I mean, I miss traveling too, but I'd rather travel for fun. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So staying with boundaries here, how do we know when one of our boundaries has been crossed? The greatest telltale sign is anger and resentment. So a lot of people will say, well, I don't know when I feel angry until it's too late and I'm yelling at someone. You need to start noticing when you feel things in your body. And if you even go, the easiest way is to go back to a memory that you had where maybe you did yell at someone. Maybe you did catch it too late. And you go... 10 minutes before, an hour before, and actually see if you could sense any anger in your body, any resentment around anything. And actually ask yourself, where did it physically sit in your body? What people don't realize is that emotions, um, or as life coaches call them, energy in motion, physically sit somewhere in your body. So it could be sitting in your heart, it could be sitting in your stomach. As soon as you notice what anger feels like in that past memory, you can notice what it feels like when it arises again. And what happens is when this anger arises or when this resentment arises, a lot of people go, oh, well, I shouldn't be angry or, oh, it's a horrible thing to be resentful of someone, so I shouldn't feel resentment. Rather than invalidating how you feel, you should just use it as information to make 
a change in your behavior. So set a boundary. The only reason anger and resentment are arising is because a boundary has been crossed. Once you set that boundary, that emotion will disappear. So all emotions serve a purpose. And sometimes we get caught up in the idea of negative emotions and positive emotions. Instead of labeling it as negative or positive, just realize it's providing you information. And if you use that information, then it won't have a negative effect on your life. Emotions aren't inherently negative or positive, but what you do, how you act on that emotion can be positive or negative. To that point, is it possible to become so conditioned to having our boundaries crossed that we don't even know that it's happening? And if so, how, how, how can we fix that? And I also think if it's a common thing that happened in your childhood, you would have never learnt what that feeling of anger felt like, what that feeling of resentment feels like. And unless you get got taught how to feel your feelings, which unfortunately most people have not, um, people don't realise that emotions sit in your body that actually let's say uh, my telltale sign when I'm angry is I feel like there's something stuck in my throat. That is completely different to someone else. Like I have a friend whose anger is in her heart. I have another friend whose anger is in their stomach and like she can't eat when she's angry um, because she gets really like, um, I don't know, butterfly, butterfly feelings. And in, in, you don't actually have to label what it feels like. It's just the fact that it feels different in each person's bodies. And so if you've uh, been brought up where your feelings were dismissed, where when your boundaries were crossed, even with sayings like, oh, p- children are meant to be seen and not heard, that I'm your parent, so you have to do what I'm told. That's actually teaching people to ignore their boundaries. Or it's simple things like give your uncle a hug. And if you say you don't want to, then it's, oh, you're being rude. That's actually how we train children to have bad boundaries. And it's this expectation that actually kids without boundaries are easier to parent, but then they become adults without boundaries. And that's harder for them to live as an adult, because their whole childhood was around them being complicit, them being um, docile, them being agreeable, them um, being polite. A lot of crossing your boundaries is um, under the guise of being polite, be a good child, um, sit down, shut up, be quiet. And then at some point you expect that child to have an opinion, be vocal, all of these things that require boundaries. Yet there was no turning point where anyone taught them how to do anything differently. Well, as a child who was raised by single mom and grandparents who said, don't do as I do, do as I say, uh, I think I fall in that umbrella somewhere. Um, yeah. You know, you've talked about emotions a few times. You've talked about being angry. Um, you've talked about bad boundaries. Over the course of the last year and a half, a big focus on our show, just because of the world environment, has been on mental health. And you're talking about emotions, people being angry. I keep saying the one positive thing out of COVID is that it's shining a positive spotlight on mental health and that it's okay to talk about it. To your point, you know, my generation, you know, don't, don't do as I do, do as I say. Do you think that through COVID, this has changed in a positive way, the, the way people view their emotions, view their boundaries and interact with each other? Well, I think there's actually a generational difference as well in how, um, as a whole, people are parenting. So it's less so do as I, um, what, what was that phrase you just said? Do as, do as I, I say, as I do. As I do. Um, to respect is mutual. 
respect has earned. And it's where generations clash over this, but I do agree with the latter, that respect is mutual and respect is earned. And actually, parents need to respect their children if they want their children to respect them in, in return. And that also leads to healthier relationships when that those children become adults, because as adult children and that parent-adult-child relationship, then it's respectful both ways and that respect is mutual. Um, in terms of mental health, I think one of the greatest things that comes out of having good boundaries is that I learned the ability to say I don't have the emotional capacity for this and this was so important in the pandemic. Uh, there was a point where I had coronavirus for two weeks but I didn't want to put it out on my page. There was a lot of fear already out there and I didn't really want to talk about it until I was out of the woods and so I wasn't talking about it but of course this was like right at the beginning of last year, our first lockdown in March of course, everyone was talking about it. And so every time I picked up the phone to any one of my friends, they would be listing the worst rates, the scariest statistics, and they didn't know that I had it at that time. And so I had to start saying, like, I don't want to talk about this right now. Can we talk about something lighthearted? I understand that's what's going on in the world outside. I am inside. I am not going outside until they deem it safe. So we don't need to be constantly talking about this. And I think it's a very strange terminology to use um, emotional availability because I think that is, or emotional capacity, I don't think that is a language term that is used very often. But in the pandemic, that actually was literally what was happening. People were so drained from living in constant fear and living in such an unprecedented event that people had reduced capacity in terms of what they could deal with. And even outside of the pandemic, I think it actually happened before. We just didn't really know how to label it. So it could be when your partner comes home, slams the door and starts ranting to you about the office and you are in the middle of writing a really important email which you're really stressed about and then your partner gets annoyed because you're not listening to them instantly but they've just come home they haven't even asked you what you're doing they haven't even stopped to pay attention to the fact that you're busy right now and expect you to drop everything you're doing and hold space for them in that moment rather than taking a moment and going I just had the worst day can I vent to you for a second that one sentence alone is having good emotional boundaries, but coming in and basically taking all of your emotions and because you're so uncomfortable in feeling them, deciding to hand them over to whichever individual is around you is actually bad boundaries. And thankfully, through the pandemic, we've got better at saying I don't want to talk about this, whether it's talking about vaccinations and people's varying opinions or whether it's about um people learning to turn off the news because it got to a point where it was too overwhelming. I think we've got better at saying, this is not a conversation I want to be in right now. Um, can we talk about something else? On to your point about the media, uh, unfortunately, bad news sells. And uh, I remember maybe six, eight months ago, the president of CNN, Cable News Network here in the US, uh, an email leaked out where uh, he had directed the producers in the bottom corner uh, they would have a Chiron basically up 24-7 showing the death count. Yeah. And it was in your face 24-7. And so it's similar to, and you're way too young for this, but when there was the BP oil spill about 20 years ago, you turn on the news every day and the bottom corner was a picture of the pipe with a hole in it with oil spilling out with everyone just glued to that. So uh, we need to figure out how to get past that because I think there's an abuse of power there um, in the media and maybe to a well, lesser extent social media. Even I'm sorry, over here. Even over here, I found myself going on BBC News and um, 
looking at uh, they had a death toll hospitalization rate and all, all these all these statistics and I found myself looking at it, at it every day and then it got to a point earlier this year I think in March this year where I went do I ever look at the death toll for how many car crashes there are a day? Mm-hmm. Because like you don't look at those numbers. So actually you're looking at statistics and numbers that you have nothing to compare it to. How many people die of cancer every day? I've never known that statistic. I wouldn't stare at, if I stared at that every single day for what, over a year now, would I be terrified of getting cancer every single day from the moment I woke up? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Now, was coronavirus a huge fear, a huge valid fear? Absolutely. But is it helping my day-to-day life to be so conscious of it when it's not going to change my behavior? The difference is, if my behavior would have changed by looking at that statistic. So, for example, let's say I was flouting all lockdown rules, didn't give a shit. Sorry, I just thought. It's okay. <laughs> um, it's cable, you're okay. <laughs> okay, some some channels aren't aren't great with that. Um, didn't care at all. Wasn't wearing my mask, but I suddenly started looking at the statistics, and that started making me be more cautious or was more aware of my my health and the health of others around me. Then, sure, that's great thing to do. Look at that statistic. Scare yourself into actually be- behaving correctly. I didn't need that motivation. I already was scared enough. I didn't need extra motivation to feel worse or wake up in the morning with more fear every morning. And so it's about having that self-awareness. And in a way, that's boundaries in the same way that like you need to learn when to turn your phone off and stop going on social media. They got to a point where I was saying to my followers, like, look, if it's not going to change your behavior, you don't need to be looking at the news every day. It's not going to change how anything other than the fact that you're more scared and therefore you're going to have less emotional capacity because you're consuming it with like just trying to maintain your sanity and not um, overwhelm yourself with all this fear. And frankly, it's not good for your body to be under that much fear. And there are so many statistics out there about like, if you live in a constant state of stress and fear, you actually lower your immunity. So you're doing the counter thing of what you should be doing. um, And it doesn't actually help you in the long run. So um, that's, also a piece of the puzzle, which I guess prior to the pandemic, we wouldn't have thought about boundaries around how much news we consume. But I also think it's because so many people started consuming the news who don't regularly consume the news. Um, and it became a part of our everyday in the same way that we so- scroll social media. We had nothing else to do. It was 24 yeah. seven on TV. But here's a crazy idea. You know, Why doesn't the media use their power for good and not evil why don't they show us stats about the number of people that are vaccinated, the number of people who have gotten COVID and recovered, the number of children ages five to 18 that have now vaccinated, the number of people who have gotten their booster shots. That's all positive things out there that's going to help you re-engage with society, re-engage with your life, re-engage with your boundaries, and you know, get past this. You know, The new world will be something completely different than we knew 20 months ago, but we're going to feel a lot more confident out there knowing X number of people or percent of the population are vaccinated. The kids are vaccinated. People have recovered from COVID. It's not an immediate death sentence. And so anyone there in the, the media out there listening, you know, here's a word of advice, you know, please think about some positive stats instead of just putting the death toll up there. There was that thing that was created a few years ago, ago. I think it was called like do good news. Um, and it was only positive news. And I don't think it exists anymore. It's a very short <laughs> news cycle, I'm sure. Yeah. And I, I also just think it is that thing about what you said about attention where if if it truly was all good news on the news, people don't tune in. Yep. It's, it's an unfortunate state. 
So talking about these emotional consequences, what are some of the physical, psychological, and emotional consequences of not setting boundaries? So physically, you're going to be exhausted. Um, emotionally, <laughs> you're going to be overwhelmed. Um, and yeah, it's it's the fact that you aren't actually deciding your life. You're almost a uh, effect of your own life because someone invites you to a party. You look at your diary. You see if you're free. At no point does it occur to you to ask yourself whether you want to go. So you put it into your diary. The day comes. You want to cancel. You make up a lie saying it's a family emergency when actually this all could have been saved if the moment the invite came in, you actually asked yourself if you wanted to go, being honest with yourself, being honest with the host and told them that you didn't want to go. And it's having those questions and not having those knee-jerk reactions where you make the decisions like you've always made before and actually asking yourself, do I want to be in this conversation? Do I want to be spoken to like this? Do I want to go to this event? Do I want to be working evenings and not being paid or financially compensated in any way for the extra hours that I work? Um, and a part of this is also having the self-esteem to know that you deserve to be paid for your overtime, that you deserve to be spoken to in a certain way, that just because you work for someone doesn't mean they're allowed to yell at you, um, that just because you're in a relationship with someone doesn't mean they can treat you like a punching bag, just because you're friends with someone doesn't mean you have to drop everything to be there for them all the time. Um, and also having faith in the people who are in your life that they are fully equipped. They are adults who can look after themselves and that the whole world doesn't revolve around you. And just because you don't pick up the phone or aren't there for them in the drop of a hat doesn't mean they're not going to survive without you. They, Everyone will learn how to exist without your help if you actually give them the opportunity to help themselves. But sometimes when you jump in so quickly, I used to be the kind of friend who picked up the phone after one ring they never actually learn to rely on themselves because they're so used to relying on you all the time for everything. Use an example a couple of times. You just mentioned if you're in a relationship, you can't be used as a punching bag. You mentioned it earlier where the partner came home and just sort of vented about the bad day. Yeah. Why is it so hard to set boundaries, romantic relationships? And what advice do you have? Because we care so much about being liked and being loved. And we think that we risk that love if we can, if we vocalize what we need. Um, or that we are being a bad girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, if we don't, uh, we aren't emotionally there for them the whole time. You actually can't fulfill every single person's needs. And if your partner is expecting you to fulfill every single one of their needs, they're not fulfilling enough of their own needs. And so it's that very basic thing of one person can't be your everything. And in romantic comedies and the media in general, there is this idea that like your, your one person is the one, the, the person who fills all your needs. And it's just not realistic. It's something as simple as the fact that like, if your partner doesn't like theater and you love going to the theater, go to the theater with your friends. Like it doesn't matter. It's not a reason to break up um if someone's busy if someone's replying to an email while you need to vent call a friend call your parent talk to someone else you need to have a support network it can't just be one person we've been talking to michelle elman i'll be right back after a short break become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we are back with Michelle Ellman, life coach, author of the new book, the Joy of Being Selfish, Why I Need Boundaries and How to Set Them, Broadcaster and Influencer. We've been talking about boundaries the first half of the show. We're going to continue with that now. So, Michelle, I know that as a parent, I don't want a 15-minute argument whenever I want my kids to do something. But does part of our problem with boundaries stem from our childhood, as I mentioned earlier, with myself? And is it a problem that parents want their kids to comply? Well, I think parenting a child with boundaries is going to be harder, unfortunately, but you can rest in the knowledge that you are giving your children tools to 
be better equipped in adulthood. The reason why I say it's harder to parent a child with boundaries is because, of course, it's easier to have a child who says yes, no matter every time you ask them to do anything. But learning how to use the word no is a really important skill. So having that conversation, learning, showing them how to navigate boundaries. So let's say they don't want to tie their room. Then you set a consequence, which is the same way you set boundaries with adults. Okay, if you don't tie your room, then whatever your consequences. But in the same way that if I was talking to an adult and they started yelling at me, I would say, if you keep yelling at me, I'll walk out the room. That's also a consequence. You're setting it with an adult in the same way you would set it with a child. And so being the example for your children that you can set boundaries and that you're safe to set boundaries and you're not going to lose my love as a consequence of that, I'm not going to hate you as a consequence of that, is what is a really good skill to take into that their adulthood. Um, and I also think it gives them more ownership over many things. So like one of the boundaries that parents often aren't very good at is privacy, um, going through their phones, going through their backpack, um, or even just invading their room setting up a simple thing throughout the whole household of if you want to go in someone's room, you knock on their door. That's really good boundaries. And a parent can abide to those boundaries in the same way a child can. And if someone crosses that boundary, then say, you've just come into my room without knocking. Please go outside my room. You can knock. And if I'm free, I'll let you know if I'm free. If I'm not free, I want my privacy. I will come find you later and I'll speak to you later. So how do we raise kids who set healthy boundaries without them defying us whenever we want them or need them to do something? I think we stop seeing as them defying us and we start (laughs) asking more questions. So if they don't want to clean their room, have a conversation about that. Why don't you want to clean your room? Yes, it takes longer. Yes, it requires more effort. And yes, as a parent who probably has many kids they're looking after, especially when you're looking after young kids, you don't always have the energy to have this conversation or have this fight. But I follow the 90% rule. If you do it right 90% of the time, the 10% of the time where you tell them just do it, otherwise, like, and get into an awful fight about it they're going to forget the 10% of the time. And you can always come back, even in that 10% where you end up in a yelling match, telling them just do as you're told, then come back and say, that was wrong with me. I shouldn't have yelled at you. I would like you to clean your room. And I'd like you to clean your room when I ask the next time. You need to take responsibility over your things. And if you want your room to be treated with privacy, then you need to treat it like it's a room that you you own yourself that it's in the same way that like when you have you have your your first car you treat it with so much respect because it's something that you value you also need to be valuing your room which i understand you didn't pay for and i understand that all of these items in this room i paid for but you need to treat it with respect and part of that is keeping it clean keeping it tidy and actually having that conversation giving them the respect of explaining why you want something done often is a way of Removing the framing of the fact that you're going into a fight, I think a lot of the time when, and it's the same with this idea of like they're they're defying you, defying you almost implies that you're entitled to be listened to. If you were actually talking to an adult, you would explain things, you would say why you want your needs met. And so giving that child that space and also treating them like an adult, especially in the later years when they're becoming an adult as a teenager gives them the respect to know that they can have these conversations with you and they don't have to be scared of you. They don't have to worry about you. And also if you've not yelled at them and you've not had these fights constantly, then it builds this element of trust.
You've said that women have more difficulty than men in setting boundaries. Why is that? Yes, I think there's a greater expectation on women to be the caretakers of the world, um, to look after everyone else, to be the nurturing ones. But that means women tend to do a lot more emotional labour. And there's this um, stereotype in society that women have um, placed more emphasis on our relational relationships. And so relational relationships, (laughs) but our (laughs) relationships where we want to be a good wife, a good mother, whereas men less so place emphasis on those are more comfortable with saying no are more comfortable with being a disliked person whereas if a woman says no they get labeled as arrogant they get labeled as selfish is one of the words that um a lot of women get called um they get rude they got called rude and those are the more polite names that women get called for saying no and setting boundaries so I think that's where the difference lies. Whereas if a man was to set boundaries, he would be told he's confident, he's self-assured, he's powerful, he knows what he wants. And it's just that framing of women should always be the caregivers in society and should always put everyone else first. And I think it's also telling that the word selfless is seen as such a compliment to women that, oh, she's such a selfless woman. Um, But the word selfless actually means to forget yourself So why should a woman have to disregard themselves in order to be valued within society? You know, you mentioned about, you know, the selfless woman and, you know, we continue to break the glass ceiling of women CEOs, more women in the boardroom, things along those lines. How do we change this narrative from from a boundary perspective? How do we make it so that the same terminology is used for men as it is for women? I think there are more and more women being given a platform to be vocal and to be proud of their strong boundaries. I think there are great examples of it from Simone Biles saying, no, she's not performing at the Olympics. Um, Taylor Swift talking about how, no, she's not going to have her sexual relationships shamed in the same way that if a man were to have as many relationships as she had, it wouldn't be spoken about in that way. He would be called a stud or um, a bachelor, all of these like complimentary names, but she was very much slut shamed for it. And so it's these women who are speaking up for the first time and saying, no, I don't need to do that. Um, Simone Biles around her mental health and actually standing up for herself and putting herself first before the Olympic team. But actually she didn't even put herself before the Olympic team because what she did was in service for the Olympic team because it meant someone else who wouldn't injure the, herself uh, would take take her place and that person ended up winning gold. So it shows that when a person has boundaries, it actually serves everyone involved. Um, and those women being vocal about it are actually helping so many other women. And also from an individual standpoint, as women, I think we have to get okay with being unlikable. And I think we are going through this phase where these examples that I included, Simone Biles, Taylor Swift, um, even like people like Meghan Markle, they get a lot of flack for being these boundaried women. They get a lot of people saying they are unlikable people. But so what? <laughs> like, what if, so what if you're an unlikable person? I'd rather be happy and have boundaries and have self-esteem and have energy and time because I've said no to things that don't serve me and be seen as unlikable, and know that I still am a good, valuable, worthy human who gives as much as I can and also looks after myself. And it doesn't have to come at the expense of me. Um, And that just because society has framed it as I should give everything and empty myself out doesn't mean it's the accurate way we should be living. We have a new first on the show today. And that is the first time we use the phrase slut shamed on the show. So I I, breaking new boundaries 
every show here. I love it. Thank you for that. <laughs> Sorry. I'm no, 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 no. Not all at all. The that's, bad language on the that, that's not bad. That's the beauty of this show is that it, it's, it's real, it's raw, and it's, it's the world we live in. So I, I appreciate the candidness. If we can, let's stick with uh, <laughs> Slut Shame Taylor Swift and Simone Biles and professional athletes in general. We've talked a lot about them here on the show in terms of them, you know, to your point with Simone Biles, we've seen Michael Phelps, we've seen Lindsey Vaughn. These household names in sports come out admitting that they've had some mental health challenges. What do we do as society to, to not put them on the pedestal as Olympic gods or as, you know, greatest of all time? And realize that they are human beings too, just because they have some God-given talent that they've worked very hard for a long time to fine-tune and to tweak. What do we do for ourselves as a society to, to recognize that they need boundaries just like you and I do? Well, I think this idea that mental illness or not being able to perform 100% of the time equals weakness. It doesn't equal weakness. It's just being human. And I think this pedestal thing doesn't work for anyone. Whether you're putting an influencer on social media on a pedestal, an athlete um, on a pedestal for getting however many gold medals... Or you're putting a psychologist on a pedestal because you have this expectation that all people who work in personal development are perfect humans themselves. It doesn't serve anyone because for you to put someone on a pedestal, you're putting yourself down. And then when that person on a pedestal doesn't live up to your expectations, all that happens is you try to tear that person down because you have a level of disappointment. You have a level of expectation. But if you didn't place that expectation on, frankly, a stranger, then you wouldn't have felt that disappointment. And if you were self-aware enough to notice that disappointment, you wouldn't project it on these strangers on the internet rather than recognizing, actually, it says a lot more about my perceptions of why do I think 10 gold medals means that someone is indestructible and superhuman? And why do I think that taking an off day is a bad thing? And I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that in general, we over glorify being busy, um, being productive. And that's why especially Olympians are seen as these epitome of strength. And if any sort of humanness is involved, whether that's mental illness or having a bad day or needing rest, or even to be honest, having an injury, it's seen as weakness rather than seeing part of their strength. I think it took so much strength and bravery for all of the athletes who speak up about anything that's vulnerable. I think that is strength. But in our society, we see it as opposed to their professional accomplishments. But I think also we need to have better boundaries to recognize that that's someone's job, that even though it's a dream job for a lot of people, it's still their job. And there's still a human behind that person who isn't the performing person that we see every day, but actually just the human person who has to go home at night and cook dinner for themselves and all of the things that we do, do their laundry, um, all the things that we do, they have the same aspects of life. And we just don't see that part of life. A few moments ago, you talked about women being selfless. You've also talked about women being human doers versus human beings. What do you mean by that? And what are the consequences of being a human doer rather than a human being? I think in general, not just women, when you give so much of yourselves, it's because you're missing some element of self-esteem that believes you are good enough. And so you've tried to compensate for the fact that you don't believe you're good enough by doing so much for people you think if you're useful people will keep you around but you don't actually believe people would want to spend time with you anyway and so how we start changing that narrative is we stop doing those things and once we stop doing those things you'll realize 
actually, there were some people who only kept me around because I was useful, because I was reliable, because I was the first person to answer. But those aren't the people that you want in your life anyway. And it can be a really painful process that happens when you set boundaries, where you realize a lot of people in your life were taking advantage of your lack of boundaries. And the moment you start setting boundaries, they might not have such positive reactions and they might leave your life for good. Um, but realizing that boundaries never makes the wrong person leave your life and it won't make um, the right person leave your life and the wrong person stay. So if anyone leaves your life because boundaries are suddenly inconvenient for them, they shouldn't have been taking advantage of the fact that you had no boundaries in the first place. I mentioned earlier, one of the many hats that you wear is being a life coach. What drew you to that profession? Yes, I originally started wanting to be a psychologist and I actually got drawn to that profession when I was 11 years old, which is ridiculously young to know you want to be a psychologist. But I had a quite unusual upbringing in the fact that I had 15 surgeries before the age of 19. So I spent a lot of my childhood in hospitals. And so I had a lot of um, interactions with psychologists and I actually was in UCLA so I spent a lot of time in Los Angeles um, having these surgeries and there was something specific about the fact that I wanted to help people adjust to the idea it wasn't the physical illness aspect it was the adjustment mentally to the physical illness that I didn't know how to describe at 11 years old but that's what I kept saying I just want to help people Um, feel okay about their illness and that's what drew me to it and then when it came to deciding your subjects in um, the UK over here we decide as early as 15 we start chopping down our subjects from all the subjects to 15 and then 12 and then by 16 you're doing four subjects and psychology was one of my four and then when I went to university we uh, in the UK we choose one subject for university as soon like you apply for one subject and the subject I chose was psychology and it was kind of just fulfilling what I always thought I wanted to do. And then when I graduated, I um, realized that there were limitations in the traditional psychology point of view that I didn't personally agree with. And so I just found more freedom in life coaching. But I really enjoy um I think my my greatest thing is I just think because of my illnesses, I do want people to make the most of life. And I think when you work on yourselves, when you do any kind of personal development, um, you are able to make the most of life because you get out of your own way. What are some the most rewarding moments of your job? Um, when I get messages like I got one this morning, which was like, I didn't know how to set boundaries. So I thought to myself, what would Michelle do? And then I had your voice in my head and she, and it was like, I have never met you, but for some reason, this voice popped into my head saying all, cause I, I put a lot of text templates online because I found my greatest struggle with boundaries, um, was actually word for word what to say. And I found myself in moments with my own life coach being like, okay, I understand all of that logically and rationally. I understand I should be saying no and setting boundaries right now, but I'm going to need you to type out this text for me because when you're not used to setting boundaries, you don't have the language for it. So one of the big things I do online is actually provide people the text. So provide people the text to end a relationship rather than ghost, to um, actually communicate to your boss how you say no. One I did earlier today um, online was... uh, 
when you're the person who organizes all the gifts at Christmas? How do you actually say to your family, hey, I'm not doing that this year. You all can be responsible for your own gifts. I don't want to be spending for everyone else. And also, you should probably put some thought behind your own gifts and stop pretending that you did it when actually I've been doing everyone's presents for years. So all of these unique situations where people go, I just don't know physically what to say. Um, Those text templates mean, I think, a lot of people across the internet now have my voice in their head when it comes to boundary setting. And that's always really nice because that was the part where I struggled with boundary setting the most. So knowing that I can help other people in that very specific niche aspect um, always makes me smile. Let's stick with the point you just made about ending relationships. I don't recall if it was during the pandemic, but you've revealed that you spent a year or so evaluating and reevaluating your personal relationships and that you ended some of those. Why'd you yeah. take that step? So this was before the pandemic. Um, it was while setting boundaries and some of those were conscious choices. Some of them were choices on my part and some of them I was setting boundaries and people weren't liking the change. And I fully own the fact that I was the person changing in the relationship. They didn't sign up to be in a relationship with the person who I was currently. They were signing up for the person who I was two years ago, but that person didn't exist anymore. And so sometimes when someone grows and changes, you don't always change or grow in the same direction. And so as a result, um, I lost a lot of relationships that way. But as I said previously, I just think you never lose someone who's meant to be in your life. And so if they're, if you're, they're not respecting your boundaries, then ultimately they don't respect you. And it also calls into question whether they ever did respect you. Um, and so I'm really big on having the difficult conversations. So I do set the boundaries. If the boundaries continue to be crossed, then I will set another consequence to it. And then if it continues to be crossed, then I will end the relationship and I will do it through a conversation because I don't believe ghosting is an appropriate way to behave. I don't think it's kind. I think it's really disrespectful and just out of respect for the time you spent together. And when I say relationships, I don't just mean romantic relationships. I mean platonic friendships as well, um, family relationships, uh, work relationships even. I think you should have respect for the relationship, the time that you were in each other's lives to actually communicate and enter that relationship. In a workplace setting, you wouldn't ever just leave a job or you shouldn't ever just leave a job without quitting, without handing in your notice. In the same way, in your social relationships, you shouldn't ever just ghost or disappear. Someone deserves to know why you're not friends anymore. And yes, it's a hard, uncomfortable conversation. And especially within friendships, it's less normalized than breakup conversations, but it's important life skill to have. Was that an easier or more difficult process than you expected? Um, it was probably the thing that wanted me to stop setting boundaries <laughs> completely <laughs> because there's a moment where you're losing so many, this is being completely honest. There's a moment where you're losing so many people and you're like, am I ever going to find replacements for these people? Or am I just going to have no friends for the rest of my life? Five years later, I can absolutely confirm to you it was so worth it. And every single person who left my life was replaced with someone who was an actual good friend. Whereas before all the people who were in my life, yes, they were good there for the good times. But would they have been there for the bad times? No. Or if they were, they would invalidate my feelings or they would be there on conditions. Whereas um, I think the point which proved it the most to me was when I was in the middle of this journey, I had a family member get really ill and um, 
their friends were there for me in a way that I couldn't even believe I had such good friends. And I started thinking, would the same friends from two years ago, the ones who left my life, the ones who disappeared, have acted the same way as the friends I currently have? And it was absolutely not. Because once you have boundaries, you have friends who respect you. And so actually, it was really painful. It was a really long process. But in the long run, it's worth it. Because when you when it actually counts, those people are going to be there for you in a way that's so much stronger and so much healthier than previous relationships. We have just a few minutes left. You do quite a bit of public speaking. Will we see you anywhere in the United States in the coming year? And if so, where will you be? Oh, I would love that. They opened um, up the flights the last week, didn't they? So that brings it closer to a possibility. Um, but I don't have anything in the calendar. I miss America and I'd love to come over at some point, but fingers crossed one day. Soon, very soon. And outside of your books or your potential live appearances, where can our audience learn more about you or follow you? Yeah, so my website is www.michelleelman.com. I have a podcast called In All Honesty and actually the first episode of season three came out today all about procrastination and what it really means and my two books am i ugly and the joy of being selfish are out in all good bookstores and uh it's in audible uh, so as an audiobook and as an ebook as well and you can find me online at scar not scared on instagram tiktok twitter and all other social media that is a lot of social media in other places good for you <laughs> try to keep up with all of them I can't even spell half of them. That's the problem. <laughs> so what's your parting advice for audience about how they can feel more empowered, triumph over adversity and achieve their goals? I think the best way to start is use the simplest boundary, which is the word no. And I think around this time of year, around Christmas parties, around family members who you maybe only see once a year, it's about uh, deciding how you want to be treated and asking yourself, is this the way I want someone to treat me? And if not saying something, um, saying anything, you don't have to set it perfectly. Your boundaries in the beginning are not going to be perfect. They'll be clumsy. They'll be messy conversations. But saying nothing, saying something is better than saying nothing. And making an attempt at having that conversation is where you start. So it could be in a restaurant where, where, where a waiter says, do you like your food? And you actually saying no. Try being honest with strangers as well. Actually answer that question. How are you a bit more honestly? And for our listeners looking for Michelle online and on social media, it's Michelle Elman with one L. Michelle Elman, author of The Joy of Being Selfish. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. And as always, thank you to our wonderful audience for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, Please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek public figure and on Twitter at Chris Meek underscore USA. I think I need more, a few more platforms to catch up with Michelle. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place with another leader from the world of business, politics, public policy, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.